Miss uh, Tasha. Thank you, Miss Heidi, for your ministry. Thank you, Miss Robin, Brother Eric, Caden. Continue our series in Psalms. Last week we preached our 15th message and we looked at Psalm 72 and how it talks about the, the reign of Jesus Christ, and that's uh, R-E-I-G-A-N, and that's reign, meaning when He will rule and reign, but also it says that He will be like reign, R-A-I-N, and we preached on how reign is a picture of the blessings of God. Reign is a picture of the Word of God. And rain is a picture of the trials of God. Remember the two builders, one built on the rock and one built on the sand, and the rains descended, and they tried that foundation. We talked about how rain is a gift from God, and rain uh, revives the dry and the dying, and rain is necessary, though we don't like it when we have some place to go, Amen. Rain comes from above, and rain does its work, and rain has its benefits. Remember, it gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And so shall my word be, that as it goes forth, it shall accomplish that which I purpose. And we talked about how rain comes to all. Remember what the Bible says? It rains on the just and the unjust. And how rain can be an instrument of judgment. Remember what happened in Genesis chapter Six and seven, it rained, didn't it? Amen. So we looked at that. Brother Jim mentioned in men's prayer, he, he said, Pastor, did you hear about what happened in North Korea? And I had not. Brother Stark had heard. And let me just read to you something, ladies and gentlemen. A two-year-old North Korean, a, a two-year-old, so one of the kids in our nursery was sentenced to life in prison after officials found a Bible in the toddler's parents' possession as the totalitarian regime continued to execute and torture religious worshipers. As many as 70,000 Christians are imprisoned in North Korea according to the new International Religious Freedom Report by the U.S. State Department. Two years old. Two. I've mentioned this so many times at Loomis Park Baptist Church. You, you probably get sick of hearing it, <clears throat> but I'm going to keep saying it. I love our church. I love our church. Let me just stop and quote Pastor David Allen who said, Be careful what you say about the church. It's not your church, it's his church. So when I use the term our church, I think you understand what I mean by that. It's not my church. I'm not in charge. It's not your church. But it's our church in that we attend it. We're part of this local body. Amen. One of the most... There's so many things that I love about our church and believe I'll be preaching a message about it soon. But one of the most blessed, visible, and noticeable of those characteristics is the physical presence. And by the way, that itself is important. We're commanded to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But the physical presence of seasoned saints, that's you older folks, 
but also babies and all ages in between. I've said this before, not every church has that. By the way, Brother Hazelsword is ministering in an area where uh, as far as the, the ages go, the aggregate age is much lower in Africa. The famines, the AIDS, all those things that have contributed to that. But in America, particularly at Loomis Park Baptist Church, we're blessed. We have people that are north of 80 and south of 2. I'm telling you, this is a tremendous blessing. Oh, how we need you, sweet seniors. You're so important here. You really are. But oh, the joy that those little ones bring. And as, as I was looking at, uh, Brother Jim and Miss Kim gave me the missions report, and I was looking at it, and Miss Kim, I know you know this, uh, I, look at, I look at the monthly givers. And I saw our monthly givers. And our monthly givers were, I think, about $33,000. And by the way, our monthly givers are usually our sweet seniors. People that get paid monthly. But then I saw the weekly and bi-weekly givers. Those are the working families. Those are the middle-aged people, amen, that are giving. And that amounted to $101,000. And you know what I thought about it? We need them all. We need them all. We're so blessed. How we need uh, you seniors. How we need you middle-aged folk. How we need you younger families with babies and toddlers and young children and, heaven forbid, teenagers. Amen? We're so blessed to have the older, to influence the younger, to influence the generation to come. That phrase is used twice in our text. And can I say this about Loomis Park Baptist Church? Loomis Park Baptist Church for decades has had a heart, and by the way, and also a budget, to influence, instruct, and impact the youth. I think about that when Pastor Brent stands up here. Number one, we actually have a youth pastor. Not every church does. Not every church can. It's, it's, it's a priority here. I think about things like bus ministry, Sunday school, midweek children's programs, vacation Bible school. I think of sports. I think of summer camps and team ministry and Pastor Brent coming up here and saying, hey, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're having a Culver's fundraiser and then it seems like we could just have church at Culver's. Some of you wish we could have church at Culver's. I know you do. Amen. amen. <laughs> the missionary says amen. Cancel that offering. Amen. <laughs> oh. Pastor Brent says, you know, we're collecting pop cans all year long to help juniors go to camp. You know, we have one, I think we have one family that's sending four juniors at $270 a piece. You know what happens is somebody, some, somebody forgive me, like Miss Mary, or uh, I'll say, hey, I'll, I'll sponsor one of those kids, you know. That's, that's our church. That's this generation to come. Again, it's used in verse 4 and verse 6, that phrase, the generation to come. 
I can't help but think about that as I think about that story, Brother Jim. As far as I know, we have, are the two-year-olds in our nursery are very safe right now. They're an important part of our church. They really are. This is one of the historical psalms, Psalm 78, and I'll just give you a quick overview. It's a longer psalm. Uh, we're, we're just scratching the surface here, but it, it has to do uh, with the history of Israel is important. In, in uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, it talks about the things which were written aforetime were written for our learning. That we through patience and hope of the scriptures, or uh, comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. And so the history of Israel is important. That's verses 1 through 8. Verses 9 through 41, we see the history of Israel in the wilderness. You remember, for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. And remember why that was? Because of unbelief. Because they didn't believe God. And then verses 42 through 72, we see the history of Israel in Egypt and how God wrought signs and wonders. And by the way, you ought to take time and read this over and over and over. It says, God did this and God blessed and God was patient with them and God was forbearing and they still tempted Him. They still forsook Him. And by the way, don't get so high and mighty about that. We know who we are. It can really be summed up in verses 37 through 39, if you want to look there with me. It really really does sum up almost the entire history of Israel, particularly in this psalm. It says, well, verse 36, Nevertheless, did they flatter him with their mouth, and they lied to him with their tongues, For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant, but he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath, for he remembered that they were but flesh." A wind that passeth away and cometh not again. How, how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and did grieve him in the desert? George Santiana in 1905 wrote uh, an oft misquoted quote. Here's the correct quote Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it, is the exact quote. I want you to look at some things with me today, and we'll we'll have several applications as we go through. Look at the direction in verses 1 through 3. The direction that we see here in Psalm 78. What direction does God give to His people? He says, give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. What does he say here in verse 1? What's his direction? His direction is to listen to God. Somebody has well said, and I like this quote, Brother Brandon, this is the written voice of God. So every time you read it, you are saying, God, I am willing to listen to you. I am willing to listen to you. God says, listen, 
Listen. Hey, listen now. What does he say next in verse 2? He says, I will open my mouth in a parable and I will utter dark sayings of old. What is he saying there? He's saying not only listen to God, but learn from God. You know, one of the great studies in the New Testament, Brother Town, is to look at the parables of Jesus. The parabolic teaching of Jesus, where Jesus would take an earthly story or an earthly illustration and give it a heavenly meaning. He says, listen to God. Learn from God, and it all boils down to verse 3. Which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. Going back to verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. What is that? Listen to God. Learn To learn from God and to the law of God. So you know we've had the word of God, and our fathers have passed it down to us. It's not a Father's Day message. That's coming up soon. But boy, fathers, that's part of what we are supposed to do. You know, this morning I preached on truth, and there are so many lies out there in society right now. But you listen to me. Those lies can bounce right off your home like a rubber ball if you will just insulate it with truth. You will just insulate it and preach and teach truth. So there's the direction. There was a generation here that had heard about and known and been taught the Word of God. What a privilege. What a blessing. Like freedom, I think that's something we take for granted. Some of you, how, how many of you have gone to church all your life? Raise your hand. Glory. Glory. It's natural to just assume that's the way it is. I can tell you when I got saved at 23 years old, 28 years ago, that wasn't the way it was for me. This was something wonderful that came into my life. And something that I wanted, if God would ever give me children, that I would teach them so that they would know. So the direction here is that there was a generation who heard about knew about and had been taught the Word of God. Then he moves from the direction to the devotion in verses 4 through 7. Again, I mentioned this this morning. We are in the midst of a knockdown, drag-out, savage fight. A culture war for the soul of America, really. I know this is Memorial Day. But we are at war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And, and, and all three of those things, and I'm just going to mention some things tonight, using mass media, and particularly in mass media, sex and violence, uh, lies, propaganda in mass media that is just pumped out all the time. But not only mass media, but also a godless education system 
teaching all, by the way, they're always teaching your kids. They're always teaching your kids. By the way, I know we have some godly teachers. I'm thankful for that, that are even in the public schools. I'm thankful we have some godly teachers. But that is not the norm. That's the exception. And we keep hearing over and over and over from angry parents like you and I at meetings coming forward and saying, this book is being taught, and then they begin to read, and I almost have to plug my ears, Brother Jim. Uh, Some of these meetings, by the way, the person will say, this book is in the library, I'd like to read an excerpt for it, and they begin to read them, and they shut them down, they said, you can't say that, and they said, why is it in the library for kids then? Godless education system, mass media, broken homes. I know some of you, listen, some of you had suffered through a divorce. And, and by the way, we live in a day with no-fault divorce where a person doesn't really get to say. If the other party wants a divorce, that's it. I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I, I really think we're, we're suffering as a, a culture from a, uh, this idea, the selfishness that comes from many a broken home. And you know who suffers the most? The generation to come. It goes without saying that part of this culture war is rampant immorality. Rampant immorality. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, and not only homosexuality, but the idea that you can alter your gender. And if you say anything about that, you're the problem. Think about that. Something as simple as we talked about this morning of just simple biological truth. Biologically, two and two is four, and a man's a man, and a woman's a woman, and never the twain shall meet. Unless it's in marriage, amen. <laughs> Immorality. You know, I think about something that I praise God for the, the Dobbs decision last year in our country. If you don't know what the Dobbs decision is, it reversed Roe versus Wade federally. And it took that matter to what it should have been in 1973. It was a matter for the states, a moral issue for the states. But I want to tell you something. I'll tell you something else as part of this culture war is the death culture. That if if it is inconvenient and I do not want a child, I can simply have it disposed of. By the way, you know what the the other pendulum swing to that is? I'll tell you exactly what it is. Forgive me, you seniors... Once you get to not be able to contribute, they can dispose of you too. By the way, both of those ends are sickening. Beyond sickening. But again, 50 years of coarsening the culture that we live in. My wife pointed out years ago, said, what people really want through abortion is a life without consequences. And that's a life without sin. And who's the one that said ye shall be as gods a long time ago? The devil himself in the garden. So this culture war, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they use mass media, godless education system, broken homes, immorality, death culture, drugs, 
drugs, pharmakia, sorceries, witchcraft is the Bible word. Same word, pharmakia. By the way, I'm not saying if you take metformin, you're, you know, evil. You're a devil worshiper. Otherwise, your pastor has got, has got problems, amen? No, I, I understand there are, the, praise God for medicines, praise God for penicillin, amen? amen. But we all know there are mind-altering drugs as well. You know, there are people right now, even in, in our state, I remember when this happened years ago. I remember one of the funniest things I had ever seen, and it would happen right after the, the uh, law in Michigan where it made medical marijuana legal, and, and uh, now we have more stoned people than ever, but I literally remember seeing a medical marijuana dispensary right next to a Hungry Howie's pizza shop. I thought to myself, this is like one-stop shopping, amen? And... Uh, but there's people that actually advocate for the legitimacy of marijuana and other drugs. That's the age that we live in, ladies and gentlemen. The age that we live in. And so you say, why do you say all that? But what are we to do? I'll tell you what we're to do. We're to instruct our children. If you're a Sunday school teacher here. You're to instruct the children of the church in the ways of God. In that book that he says, give ear to my people. Listen, I, I personally don't think the culture can be saved. That's just my opinion. I think the Lord's going to come soon and it's supposed to get bad before he comes. That's just my opinion. Now, you can have pockets of revival anywhere, glory to God. It can be stemmed off, amen. I like what Curtis Hudson said. He said, uh, salt is is not antiseptic, but aseptic. He said, you put salt on a piece of fresh meat to keep it from rotting. You don't put salt on a piece of rotten meat to keep it from, and expect it to come back fresh. It's not going to happen. Right. I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not so concerned with every child out there. I'm concerned with the three that God gave me. Yeah. And I'm concerned with your kids. Yeah. And I'm concerned with the teenagers here. They are in this church. They are the generation to come. I mentioned those of you that are the octogenarians here, the north of 80. And we have a couple, Mrs. Kelly, north of 90. Amen. You know, unless the Lord comes, those of you that are in your 80s and 90s, you're not going to see the Schwen kids grow up. You're not going to see my Katia. You're not going to see the Hazel Schwartz kids grow up. They are the generation to come. But I promise you, you have an important part in helping them. Why? Because the Bible says that the elder is to teach the younger. Amen. And so we're talking about what, what's the devotion here that we see? What's the devotion? We're to instruct our children how, but in, and by what? Uh, first of all, let me say this. We instruct our children with our words. I want you to go back to Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6, please. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So important here. Please look at these verses. Are we in Deuteronomy 6? Everybody say amen. amen. 
Mr. Curry, how about that crowd in front of you there? Are they in Deuteronomy chapter 6? Yeah, and make sure they are, amen. I got my eye on that crowd. Oh, they are now, amen. <laughs> Finding the Bible, God got his Bible upside down, amen. Yeah, yeah. It's not Revelation, it's Deuteronomy, amen. Yeah, that's, that's how you call out one of your own kids in church, amen, without really calling them out, amen. <laughs> Uh, somebody said, blessed are the pastor's kids, for they may be illustrations at a moment's notice. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Deuteronomy chapter 6, what does it say there in verse number 7? Verse 6 actually says, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shall what? Talk of them. You know, it's amazing what we'll talk about in our homes, and it's amazing what we will not talk about in our homes. Sometimes we'll talk about everything but the Word of God. say, well, that's church and all that. No, 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 no. The church is a supplement to your home. It is not a substitute. It's up to you. Listen to me, parents. Little ones, I understand, family devotions are just trying to get them to sit down all at the same time is a blessing. I see Pastor Brent and Kayla come with all those kids, and I'm, I'm just like, family devotions must be, who's throwing spaghetti at who? Amen? And let me look at the verse to see why we shouldn't do that. Amen? Family devotions doesn't have to be 30 minutes in Leviticus. It can be five quick minutes and one proverb, Pastor Alex, amen. But I'll tell you what, it's so important that we teach our children with our words. What do we talk about in our homes? I'll tell you, whatever it is, we are teaching our children one way or another. We're either teaching them God's Word is important or we aren't. Forgive me, I, I don't do it on purpose so my kids will see me, but I want my kids to see me reading my Bible. I don't mind, Brother Jim, if my kids hear me praying. I would like them to say one day when they have their own home and they have their own children, hey, I remember when we would have devotions with our dad. I remember when mom would read us Christian biographies with our words, the devotion. How, how do we instruct our children? By our words. Hey, uh, let's go over to Titus chapter 2. Titus, way over in the New Testament. Amen. We're moving all around here. Titus. Right after 2 Timothy is the book of Titus. Right before Philemon. Titus chapter 2. And he's I realize he's exhorting the pastor here, but I, I think this is a point that fits for us, ladies and gentlemen. Not only are we to instruct our children with our words, we're to instruct our children with our works. Verse 7, In all things, showing thyself a pattern of what? Pattern of good works. Our children often Pattern, them, pattern themselves after us. I've said before, as my children are getting older, my boys particularly, I say to them, you know why we go out on Saturdays? For the Hutchins, because people are dying and going to hell. Right. 
why we go out. Do we see a lot of people saved? Nope. No? Are you sad about that? Yeah, of course. I would love to see people saved. My job is not conducive on whether I see people saved or not. My job is the fact that I am told to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. How would that look to my kids if I just said, ah, ah, who cares? I mean, what's the big deal? Ah, somebody else will go. Now, granted, I am the pastor, but I can tell you before I was the pastor, I thought Saturday was important too. And Thursday and visitation times and VBSs and these opportunities that God gives us. You know, ladies and gentlemen, the old line, I think it's Ralph Waldo Emerson, he said, your life speaks so loud I can't hear what you're saying. And that means, you know, you know the old line, it's kind of one of those confusers, is your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Meaning what you do means more than what you say. Now, you ought to say what God says, but your works as well. Our children pattern themselves after us. So some, some people say, and, and sometimes, Miss Judy, they mean it funny to say, you know, that kid's a spitting image of you. <laughs> now, sometimes they mean just by the way they look, but sometimes people knew you a long time ago when you were a little... Bradicus, as I call him, that's the, I used to say that's the Roman name for my children, Bradicus, amen? Some of you get that tomorrow by freight, amen? Bradicus. And they, then I'll have somebody say, hey, you know what, you are the exact same way, <laughs> and this is God's, God's curse to you, amen, <laughs> to, to have that little one. But listen, our works, our words, how else? Do we teach our children? Hey, the Bible says in John 4, 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. I'm talking to the, the Sunday night memorial crowd. You get what it is. We teach our children by our worship. You know this world worships the God of this world. They don't know that they're... But they're after money. They're after this. They're after all the things that Satan promises and never really delivers on. How do our kids see our... By, by the way, the term worship, it's a beautiful term, it's a verb. You know what worship really is? It's to obey God. That's what it is. When we come to worship, the call to worship, what is worship? Is I will obey God. If he says gather with his people, I'm going to do that. If he says give, I'm going to do that. If he says witness, I'm going to try to do that. Amen. We teach our children, we instruct our children by our words, by our works, and by our worship. And you know another way we instruct our children? You're over there in Titus. Go over to 1 Peter. How important this is. 1 Peter, right after James, chapter 3. Look at this verse here. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within, within you with meekness and fear. What do you see here, pastor? 
Well, back there in Psalm chapter 78, let me read verses 6 and 7. It says that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who after should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God. And forget not the works of God, but keep His commandments. What do you see here, Pastor? How do we teach? We teach with our words. We teach with our works. We teach with our worship. We teach with our worldview. They say, what's our worldview? We talked about it this morning. It is rooted in truth. It is rooted in the fact that God is God. And you're not. Amen? It is rooted in the fact that God is the moral arbiter, that one day I am going to have to give an account to God and teaching that worldview to our children. That worldview is antithetical to this world's view of things, which is live for pleasure, get all you can and can all you get. That's this world. You think, of, think about the, the, the biblical worldview. You know how you, forgive me, you know how you get in the biblical worldview? Give. You get God's blessings when you give. Tell that to the world and they're going to lock you up and throw away the key. I'm going to tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, we need to do justice by our children by teaching them a biblical worldview. That starts with God. That starts with the fact that He created it all in six days. It's all in Genesis, really, if you think about it. It starts with sin in the third chapter. Why is there death? Why is there graveyards? The biblical worldview tells us that, Brother Jim. It tells us that sin came into the world. Jesus Christ died for sin and is willing to forgive sinners. That's a biblical worldview. Hey, uh, think about the Hazel Schwartz. He that saveth his life shall lose it. But whosoever giveth his life for my sake in the Gospels shall save it. That's a biblical worldview right there. I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we need to teach our children Sunday school, Wednesday night in patch clubs, amen? Does our worldview start with God? Why? That in all things he might have the preeminence. Colossians 1.18 says, Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's a biblical worldview. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God, Romans 14.12. That's a biblical worldview right there. So there's the devotion in verses 4 through 7. There's the direction in verses 1 through 3. And then verse 8. We see the devastation, don't we? What will happen if we don't take the time? And by the way, we all live in the constraints of time. I'm going to tell you, I, I, I saw this week as my, my son Eric turned 15, and I, I mentioned the little boy years go really quick. Really quick. Now, it don't seem like it when, again, Pastor Brent, when there's spaghetti on the head. Amen? You're like, is this ever going to end? <laughs> Can we ever have devotions without a food fight? <laughs> but while the days are long, the years are short. And there's a time 
to influence, and there's a time to impact, and it passes quick. And we see the devastation here in verse 8. What does he say there? He says, if we don't, if we don't get them to set their hope in God, if we don't tell them not to forget the works of God, if we don't teach them to keep His commandments, and by the way, isn't that a biblical worldview right there? What's going to happen? Verse 8. Might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. And look what it says there. A generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The devastation, listen to me church, the devastation if we don't do and we don't take the opportunity to influence the generation to come is we can lose it. Every local church, I, I realize this is a fresh wound for some of you folks that came from across town. I realize this. Every local church, no matter its history, is one generation away from closing the doors. One. What can we do? Listen. We can take the opportunities that God gives to us. We have people in their 20s. You know what you can do? You can influence people in their teens. We have people in their 40s. You know what you can do? You can influence that young family. We have people in their 80s. You can influence everybody. All you have to do is have a bag of goodies like Miss Mary. <laughs> <laughs> we, got, we got grown men coming up to Miss Mary. Can I have a lollipop? Amen. <laughs> no, th this, is, this is the beauty of a local church. Amen. This is the beauty of a local church. It's not... Again, and I'm not being morbid here, but I've done enough funerals for precious saints. Once you get to a certain age, there comes a point where you know, like old George Yount says, I got more days behind me than I have ahead of me. Okay? But you still can influence people. You can influence that generation to come. Listen to me. You can see it that a kid goes to camp. I think for a lot of us, that, that doesn't hurt us in the wallet at all. Like, oh, I, I can take care of that. I can, you, you can, hey, you can make sure, you know those bus kids today, Brother Jim and Miss Kim, I know I, I did something I should have, shouldn't have. One of them ran up to me, and I just picked him up. I love those kids. And then one of them started running around up here, and, and Brother Jim was like, hey, get back here, you know. And then his brother came up and did the same thing, you know. And I thought to myself, that generation to come, generation to come. What can we do? We can influence, we can impact, and we can instruct. We instruct with our words, with our works, with our worship, our worldview. Amen? So important. Let's do it, church. That generation to come needs us and we need them.
I don't want, if the Lord doesn't come before I pass away, I don't want this church in the hands of the apostates before the rapture. I want it to go strong until he comes and takes us home, and then they can have it. The generation to come. Let's, let's make sure we do our part. Father, we love you.